Welcome to the Red Leaf Card, your home for all Canadian soccer news and views. I'm your guest host for this week, Jason, and joining me is your regular host, Jacob, in the guest spot. Jacob, how are you doing today? Doing great. We have a lot to talk about, including reaction to the Canada-Nigeria game at the Women's World Cup. Uh, we also have some FIFA money issues, perhaps, and a little bit of news out of the CPL as far as Halifax goes. But before we do, here are your fixtures. In MLS, we had no games this weekend because we had the All-Star game on Wednesday where the MLS All-Stars lost 5-0 to Arsenal. However, in the League's Cup, you had Vancouver drawing 2-all with Lyon, but lost 16-15 on penalties. Like, at this point, everyone's taking a turn there. Uh, they'll face LA Galaxy on Saturday. And Montreal CF also drew 2-all with Pumas, but won 4-2 on penalties. They'll face DC United on Wednesday. And TFC will face New York City FC on Wednesday. And in the Canadian Premier League, on Friday, Forge beat Pacific 2-0. That's five straight games without a win for Pacific FC, and they have now fallen out of the top spot in the standings. And on Saturday, Cavalry with a big 5-1 win over Vancouver, with both teams getting a red card, one for Meyer Bevan and one for Amir Kanani. And we got some news out of League One BC. Jake, you want to take this one away? Yeah, a great surprising on TSS Rovers and Victoria Highlanders FC. One of the biggest shockers and also an, another first appearance from BC is Victoria Highlanders winning the first spot in the regular season. will make them to the Canadian Championship. 3-2 Highlanders in the first half. TSS Rovers scored. Happy Bula on the 40th minute. On the 44th minute, Hedman scores. In the second half, TSS Rovers scored to take the lead. Mejia. And in the 90th minute, Highlanders scored to tie it. And the game winner again scored by Schaffer to end it 3-2. So congratulations for Victoria Highlanders to taking that first spot in the regular season and making the first appearance in the Canadian Championship. Congratulations, Victoria. Can't wait to see you in the, in the next Canadian Championship. Now, of course, the talk of the soccer world right now is the Women's World Cup currently happening in Australia and New Zealand. Canada has already had their first match with a nil-nil draw to Nigeria. Um, lots of chances for Canada, uh, especially for Christine Sinclair, uh, including a penalty kick, which, great save on that one there. But in watching that match, does Canada... Did Canada look out of place, or did Canada look good and Nigeria just looked as good? My opinion uh, about this match was Nigeria did actually great in the defensive area and was really doing great in this match against Canada. I, and it was really a shocker for Canada to get that PK blocked. And I think that one is one of the highlights of the best saves, no question about it, from rejecting Christine Sinclair. And Nigeria headed, uh, held it off to make it a 
scoreless game. So I have to give um, a lot of credit to Nigeria. It was a big shocker. I, I, match. I, I will say, and one of the things that I, I noticed while I was watching this is that it seemed to me like they were almost trying to get Christine Sinclair on the board, knowing that this is going to be her, her final uh, World Cup. I, I just wonder if they're trying too hard to make Christine Sinclair happen in this tournament. Yeah, it's really that pressure um, for Christine Sinclair when you're, it's going to be your last appearance for the World Cup and you're announcing retirement. And you look at Canada, 14 shots, uh, two of them were on target. And you, you can't um, even fathom that the amount of uh, shots you've made in Nigeria even had only one shot on target. No question about it that Canada was trying to be the aggressor in this match, but couldn't even even um, make any goals into this match. I, I will say the, the, the first half chance prior to the penalty kick for Christine Sinclair, you you could almost sit there and just say just a, just a, a bit more curl, a bit more win. You almost wanted like the, the fans in the stands to blow really hard and try and get the ball in. I mean, the thing is, it, to me, they didn't look like they were struggling. They looked like they were definitely putting the pressure on. Nigeria, I mean, A, you've got the crowd behind them as well because uh, a lot of fans there for Nigeria. But it, it really, they Nigeria looked like they came to play. And I don't know if it's Nigeria trying to play up to the competition, but it makes me hopeful that you know Nigeria is going to play that well against Australia, which might help Canada in the long run. Obviously, the big uh, the next match for them is against Ireland on Wednesday. Going into that match, is this must win for Canada? Well, you look at um, I think yeah, Ireland did lose to Australia, and you have Australia right in the top in match one for that group stage, and Canada is tied in second with Nigeria and Ireland is in the bottom of the group stage. So it is most likely for them that it could be one of the, they would say that um, it will be an easy, easy match for us to take that win. But the matter of fact is if you're going to actually take that draw again, and you see if Nigeria does really well against um, Australia, you might have um, that point to say, oh, there is a a lot of pressure to take that second spot at this point. It's also interesting that Canada is playing Ireland the day before Australia plays Nigeria. And I, and I just wonder, you know, which would have been, which would have more pressure, you know, knowing that they're playing against Ireland and Ireland did lose against Australia, you know, there's, there's, if they win, that's great. They, they've got the, you know, one win, one draw, and no losses. Um, I, I just wonder, if if Australia played Nigeria before them, would it be better or worse? But obviously, they're going to come in and play very well, or at least the best that they can. Going in, your prediction, Canada versus Ireland, who wins and what's the score? Well, you look at Canada's first match, everyone thought this was going to be a, 
um, a win to for them. And a matter of fact, I think this might be that that pressure for Canada. But a matter of fact is you're having a debut for Ireland in this uh, World Cup, so it might might be a more uh, I would say win for Canada. But if they fail to fail to uh, succeed at a point in that match against Ireland, it, it goes to that uh, panic mode in for that third match in the group stage. Scary moment in extra time in the second half there. Uh, Ashley Lawrence gets fouled and fouled hard. And you watch that replay and her leg bends in a way that it probably shouldn't bend. Um, is Going forward into this next match, I mean, so far there's been no injury report on Ashley Lawrence. Uh, you know, should be good to go. But are you worried about how banged up Canada might be already? I don't know how um, she survived from that uh, st- uh, stomp by the leg at that point. Yeah. If you're at all squeamish when it comes to injuries, uh, don't don't look at this because, you know, uh, the, the Nigerian player comes in and, you know, it's it's not intentional. You know, I, I, I don't think Nigeria came in, you know, looking to hurt Canada, at least not physically, but it's just one of those unfortunate, you know, accidents where you take a look at it and go, yeah, that could be really, really bad. I, I, I'm hopeful, you know, that, uh, you know, Canada will come in and beat Ireland. I have a feeling that, that Canada will, um, take the win in that one. If Nigeria plays as well against Australia as they did against Canada, um, do you see a, a similar result in the Australia-Nigeria match? The Australia-Nigeria match? Yeah. I, I think that Australia will try to go more into that um, into that um, more aggression against Nigeria since how they were versing to Canada. So, But I, I think that Nigeria will try to take that uh, defensive role against Australia, how they did against Canada. So it could be that that matchup again and how we see it. So assuming that Australia and Nigeria play to a draw, because there, there is that possibility. Nigeria did play a very defensive game. You know, the old saying goes, you know, uh, defense wins championships. So if Australia and Nigeria play to a draw and Canada beats Ireland, then you're going to have Australia and Canada sitting with a win and a draw each, Nigeria sitting at two draws, and Ireland basically looking at an early trip home, which, of course, would put all the pressure on that Canada-Australia matchup. Um, and then you have to think that Nigeria would also beat Ireland and sit at one win, two draws. So really, it's it's a matter of... If we get down to that Canada-Australia match and it's, at that point, win or go home, you know, looking at a situation like that, if the, if that's the case, Canada-Australia, prediction, who comes out on top? Canada, who makes it on top for against that group Australia. Stage? Canada versus Australia? Yeah. Yes. It has to be Australia because the matter of fact is, Right now, you have right now Christine Sinclair now in the, a lot of pressure, announcing retirement. Now you have Australia. 
in in their groove to it. And it was their their match was basically one nil. I I keep on forgetting it is a it, yeah. It, it's not like they're... Australia dominated against Ireland. You know, it was a one nothing uh, result. So I mean, we we could sit there and take a look at possibilities and say, well, this is going to happen and this is going to happen. But the reality is, anything can happen. I mean, if for if somehow you know uh, Nigeria maybe beats Australia, then it's an entirely different ball game. You know, and then you're taking a look at. Uh, a potential Canada Nigeria uh, fighting for the top of the spot. It, it is fascinating to see, and you know, be curious to see where we're looking at next week. I, I the the worry here is that you know this is a tough group. When you take a look at all the groups, this is a very tough group. If Canada does not make it past the group stage. You know, but they play to draws or, um, you know, they just don't make it, but they still get a win. Like, however the standings fall out, if Canada does not make it to the group stage, in your eyes, is this a failure of a year? Um, I, I know lots of people would say that um, it has to be the the coaches fall for all those things. But a matter of fact is you're already now having the generation that has done well, you've seen like the Olympics, for example, and the previous um, cups that they did really well. It's now that it um, is to try to find the next generations that could dominate at that point, find the ones that could lead the team. And right now I'm looking at, at the group tied at second with Nigeria, with Canada, and you look at right now, they're going to be versing if Canada right now, if you look at Group D, England is still tied at Denmark, and they could still have the chance to not actually verse England at the point if England stays at the second spot. So if Canada still, if Eng if their second match does not do well, stays at second, and England does really good at their second match, there could be a problem to actually versa England. Yeah, I I can't see anyone really wanting to play against England going, you know, coming out of the group stage. Um, lots to see, though, and lots to happen still at the FIFA Women's World Cup. Now, I've seen, like, I've seen um, there's a lot of people having England as the favorites to beat Canada if... Canada will first England. Oh, that's the fact that that match could be that early on in the tournament, uh, you know, just coming out of the group stage like that. That's two juggernauts, you know, and one only one can go on. Like, I, I get that the brackets are what the brackets are, but it, it would be a shame to see either of those teams play play each other and it not be at least in the semifinals, if not the finals. Um, but, you know, that's the way the bracket sets up. Again, lots of action still to come. Now, going into this tournament, like on the eve of the start of the tournament, there was a story that came out where FIFA 
could not guarantee that the federations would pay the promised $30,000 per player. The way it's working is this. There is a $110 million prize money pool for the Women's World Cup. And what FIFA does is they give that to the various federations that are involved in the tournament, and then the federations are supposed to pay the money to the players. Yanni Infantino, in, a, in the pre-tournament press conference, said he could not guarantee that the players were going to see that promised $30,000 at least. You know, obviously you make it further in the tournament, you make more money. But is that... You know, you could say as much as you could say about FIFA, but is that really just not the time? You you don't want to be dropping that on the eve of the tournament. Like, you hear that story before this tournament starts. Is is that a big red flag for you? Well, it could be an actual uh, red flag, but if you're not going to expand the prize money to pay for for uh, female athletes, there is going to be a big problem, but there's a wider range of what is real problem is, is how many, how much the uh, endorsement deals are going to give for them for FIFA or for the world cup and how many fans will be interested in buying tickets to see that world cup for the women's and it goes that, and that's the ones that is um, the stalling part. That should we expand, uh, extend the the prize money and the payroll for the athletes? I mean, I get, you know, I, I, it's it's long been a story that the women are woefully under an under rewarded for doing the same job that the men do, you know. For for reference, I, I mentioned a one hundred and ten million dollar uh, money pool for the women. It was four hundred and forty million for the men. Same tournament length, same game, four times more. So, putting that aside, because that a that's wrong. Period. But putting that aside, you know, Yanni Infantino's. You know, excuse for basically, you know, shrugging off the responsibility of making sure that the players get this promised money. This promised money is that because of uh, local taxation laws and, and, you know, being different in each country, that it's something better handled by the local federations, by the, by, by the, the different countries' federations. And to a point, I can accept that. But at what point do you almost have to sit there and, and check in with these players and say, hey, by the way, did you get that money? Um, it, it feels like a shrugging of responsibility. FIFA is the one putting on this tournament. Should they be the ones making sure that the players get this cash? I agree. I actually agree with that. Uh, I agree with that uh, question there. That it's it's the players that work their uh, work hard in, in this uh, tur- tournament and doing the uh, doing the practices sometimes doing friendlies they worked really hard and yeah they do deserve that prize money for a long time and I think it's that time 
Yeah, it ju- it just see- feels to me, and you know, obviously, you know, if the women get the money. That's great. It's all good, right? But it just feels to me like you're almost setting yourself up to have an excuse ready to go if the players don't make it, where you can sit there and say, "Well, we we gave it to the federations, right? It's it's on them." You know, we've seen in the lead up to this that the the women and Candace soccer aren't exactly seeing eye to eye to begin with. You know, like how if you're on the pitch, you know, and you dealt with so much going into this tournament with the finances, with making sure that they were they had money to be able to practice and to participate in international friendlies during those competition windows, and then this story drops. There's two sides to this that I can see. One is that it it almost gives FIFA the chance to wash their hands of things. But B, does this put more pressure onto Soccer Canada to make sure that they get that money, given the microscope that that relationship is already under? It really is hard for when it's uh, directed to Canada soccer because you know it is at this point and it, they, it's always the financial for Canada Soccer Association and you might know you might not know where the money is going at this point and as noticed they've already made a deal with Canadian soccer business to actually for better programs for other things and some of the endorsement deals go to Canadian soccer business. So there's a lot of things that um, athletes don't know in this deal. And we might not know of how it's going to go for the future for Canada soccer, for the women's national team. Yeah, I mean, from a financial standpoint, you know, they, they came out and said because they sold the broadcast rights separately for this tournament than they did from the men, which is something that they didn't do in the past, that this tournament itself is actually going to break even, which is great. That's absolutely great. And if that leads to the women getting more money down the road, even better. But all it's going to take, and I'm, and I'm not saying that this is going to happen in Canada, because I, I have a feeling that by FIFA giving the federations, the money, there is going to be an added scrutiny level to this. But all it's going to take is one federation to be accused of not giving the money to the to, to the players. And that 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 relationship, that the 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 trust in that prize money is going to be put into question. So while it may be a you know uh an alibi, an excuse, if you will, for FIFA. You know, all it takes is one, and then the the questions come back to FIFA. And you know, there are so many documentaries about you know FIFA and money, and it, that that just not being you know good. You know that that it's you know it's questionable at best. And I I feel bad for the players who are there. You know, players work so hard for that moment to be able to represent their country that it's almost a slap in the face to constantly have to question, you know, is it financially worth it to represent your country at these kind of tournaments? Um, 
I, I'm hoping that it's all for naught and every single player gets their money and then eventually more down the road when there is a larger prize pool. And it should be it should be equal between the men and the women. Absolutely. Um, but here's hoping that all of this becomes just a, uh, a non-story and everything kind of plays out well. A little bit more locally here. And in regards to the Halifax Wanderers, the Friends of Halifax Common have come out and said that they are prepared to sue over the alleged privatization of the Wanderers' grounds. There's a lot to this, Jacob. If you want to fill us in a little bit more on on what's going on in Halifax and Wanderers' grounds. So Wanderers' grounds for the Halifax Wanderers was basically used as a rental and so they did it for the city hall how many uh, how many years so it was basically like a project for them and then later they extended it uh, until basically until next year and it's going to be it actually expire next year which i have to know about and so right now how um derek martin is still waiting for to make a 10,000 attendee sta- uh, soccer stadium for them. And it's still in that uh, stalemate until everything works out. But it, it's it's that um, question mark if they're going to uh, stay at Wanderers Grounds or they will agree to make a uh, Halifax Wanderers uh, soccer field for them. Is this whole drama. Yeah, I mean... The the Wanderers grounds, you know, since the 1700s, it was it, the, the land is supposed to be public. And that that was actually codified in law as recently as the 1990s. So it's not like the, this is an unknown commodity here. But I, I just wonder, like, I, I get how, you know, the Wanderers wanting their own stadium. I get the, you know, the club wanting to have their own place and have it be a good size because, you know, Halifax does embrace their teams. I, I just wonder, though, like, is wanting to play on the Wanderers grounds and have a stadium kind of in that area, is that maybe asking too much? Uh, but I get it, right? It's supposed to be public. It's supposed to be a rentable field. And if the team is taking up the field the majority of the time, then you have, without officially privatizing it, you've privatized it. Because if the Wanderers are the only players that can actually use the field, then it's not really a public field anymore. I just wonder, though, is there an easier solution to this? Because there's a lot of money that goes into building a stadium. And, you know, the city's got to put into it. The the team's got to put into it. The league has to put into it. Would it not be easier to pair up with someone like uh, Dalhousie University um, and use Wickwire Pitch there, similar to what York United does with York Lions Stadium? Well, uh, there's actually great ideas for actually where to go to. But a matter of fact is you're still renting with a a university at that point. And that's the same thing uh, York uh, United did. You're still renting a field which they're basically uh, playing on and sooner or later try to find a place to actually have their own stadium, which uh, 
as noticed, there are sources that uh, York United might actually play at Woodbine Racetrack to make a soccer stadium. I, I guess right? I, I guess the thing is that you know, create building a stadium means building infrastructure. You know, and with York United, it's it's an interesting situation because you're just outside of Toronto, you're in the GTA, and there's you know there's there's a lot of talk about building uh, a multi-purpose stadium, one that can handle both soccer and cricket, because there is a drive to to get cricket at least some facilities or bigger facilities, at least, you know, you have the Canadian cricket competition that, that kind of goes on. And that would be great if you had a multi-purpose facility. I wonder if, you know, stepping away from Wanderers grounds, but having a stadium in Halifax, if that becomes the, the catalyst for a league like the CFL to finally make their way out to Atlantic Canada. Do you need a partnership like that? You know, the CPL, while it's a, it's a great league, it's not exactly the biggest money-making league, right? And you need a city on board in order to be able to justify the cost of building a stadium like this. Does the CPL, and I guess, you know, in tangent with that, you know, Canadian soccer business, do they need to approach the CFL and say, there's an opportunity here to build something for both leagues in the same stadium? Again, similar to Atletico Ottawa playing at Lansdowne, the same field as the Red Blacks, is that opportunity there? And should CPL and CFL work together in this? I think that it's an actual good thing for that. And, and you've seen, for example, like now Canadian Elite Basketball League, that could be a, also a good thing also to partner with at that point. And as noticed, um, the expansion teams, for example, Saskatoon, they're trying to make their own stadium. And in Windsor, they're trying to use the... Uh, Windsor Stadium, which has not been used that much. I mean, there's the thing too. With you, you mentioned the CEBL, and you take a look at their ten teams: Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary, Saskatchewan, Winnipeg, Brampton, Scarborough, Niagara, Ottawa, and Montreal. You take a look at that, and what are you missing? You're missing the Maritimes. And well, there used to there well, used, there to, used be, to be a a team in. Uh, St. John's, Newfoundland, Labrador. Yeah, yeah, the, the Newfoundland Growlers, yeah. Um, but the thing is, right, and, and I completely agree with you, is that you, you take a look at Lansdale in Ottawa, right? You have the football field, you know, which has played home to uh, the Red Blacks and prior to that, the Renegades, and prior to that, the Rough Riders. So you have a long history there, but you also have right next to it, you know, the arena where your Ottawa 67s played, and at one point uh, played host to the Ottawa Senators before they got what at that time was the Palladium built out in Canada. If you have the ability to create a multi-sport facility, and you could pair it with different teams, the Halifax Mooseheads and the CEBL could partner up 
and create a multi-purpose in arena facility. So you could have hockey and basketball in the same thing, but you could also have a, a connecting football slash soccer pitch as well. But is the drive there in Halifax to put that much sports into one maritime province? Nova Scotia to me seems like the most obvious choice of any maritime province in order to be able to support that. But do you see a facility like this actually happening? Because right now, right now, the Wanderers and the Mooseheads, that's it. Can you do more in Halifax or do you also run the risk of oversaturating the sports market there? I think actually if you have, as noticed, you have the right fans doing well, but if you're actually doing well in the financial and you want to do a, a project and if you have the right uh, people that are interested, it could be done. Well, not to mention, too, there's also the talk of League One Maritimes, you know, as far as League One Canada goes. You know, getting a proper soccer pitch in Halifax. Well, would League be, One Atlantic. Yeah, exactly, right? Um, that would be great because that would then be almost like a focal point, like like almost like a home base, if you will, for League One Atlantic. Like, there's a lot of sports that can happen but at this point, the facilities aren't there. I, I just wonder if that's going to happen. And to that token, I know Nova Scotia is going through a lot right now with the torrential rains and the flooding and whatnot. So here's hoping that everyone out there is safe. Um, you know, I, it's, I, it, it's also even hilarious that uh, Halifax Wanderers is actually going to play against Ottawa. Yeah, it's that that's going to be tough, right? Because you know, you, you have to also, you know, put into the equation, you know, climate change is causing some very scary storms, you know, and Halifax and of course all the Atlantic provinces, um, do run the risk. You saw, you saw the, the hurricane that hit, um, Newfoundland last, uh, last hurricane season, and that did some horrific damage. You know, you have torrential floods in Nova Scotia right now, um, I wonder if there's a hesitation, though, to build more infrastructure when you're going to need money to finance the repairs caused by, you know, all these storms. And, of course, we are in, you know, an El Nino cycle right now. So you're going to have warmer ocean waters, which means more intense storms, potentially for another year or so, um, maybe even longer, dependent on the weather patterns here. Do you think that's playing into the decision to not build infrastructure for sports? Well, usually, uh, well, sometimes there's always some delays of of projects. Everyone always uh, always says um, these uh, projects have to take time, so we have to. It's like we have to use financial things on on s something else because something happened or we can't use this money because right now we don't have that much much money to spend it on. I mean, there, there are potential business partners out there. Um, obviously, there, there, there is Eastlink cable, uh, cable that, that could get involved in that as well. And, you know, 
potential broadcast deals and whatnot. There, there, there's a lot that could happen. I just hope that this this potential suing uh, over the grounds does not take away from the fact that Halifax does need a stadium, and there's a there's a great opportunity to further develop. You know, not just Nova Scotia, not just Halifax, but all of Atlantic Canada and to be able to expand that sports footprint out there. I just hope that a lawsuit like this is the catalyst for furthering sport in Atlantic Canada, as opposed to taking away from the need for that infrastructure. Yeah, even um, if they want to do better finance, like if Canadian Premier League is trying if they're trying to have a better financially um they would have to find uh sponsorships that could use that large money to sponsor the league and the teams it also begs the question here because you know we have talked about uh, league one canada expanding to um you know the, the the prairies as well as uh to atlantic canada do you think that it's expanding a little too much too fast or are they are they picking the right targets for expansion as far as sport in Canada? Well, if they have have teams that are really interested to having their own competition in in Canada, for example, Calgary Foothills or BTP uh, Soccer Academy, which is in Edmonton, and the uh, Edmonton Scottish, and the other teams that are just lonely interested in being in a Canadian competition. So could be that a factor to expand more. And there's a lot of other Canadian teams, even for example, Nova Scotia, uh, New Brunswick and other teams, academies in the Atlantic. So I think they're really hungry for being in a competition league in Canada. And also, it's also money to also be involved. So that is also the bad part of it. Yeah. Here is hoping that this, this if this even happens, you know, if the Friends of Halifax Common do go through with this, here's hoping that it doesn't detract from the quality of the play on the field. Um, Jacob, we've come to full time. Everyone, this is the Red Leaf Card. I'm Jason, your guest host. Stopping out.